Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Hey, welcome along. We are live around the planet. It is 11 a.m. North American Eastern Time. That means it is midday in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past noon in Newfoundland, and uh, what is that? That's 4 p.m. in London, 5 p.m. in Paris, 6 p.m. in Jerusalem, and wherever you are, in this turbulent world, uh, we hope uh, that you are uh, excited as we are to be doing another uh, melange, a melange of the Mark Stein Show and our live Clubland Q&A. And what that means is that we have some Mark Stein Show features, and we also have lots of questions from Mark Stein Club members uh, around the planet. Uh, and uh, we look forward to taking your questions, and we shall get to it. Without further ado, as they say, because there's too much ado in this world. That's one of the big problems with it today. An excess of ado, one feels. Uh, okay, let's see what what's first up. Oh, Penns Woods says, Mark, where in the world do you think Bojo is taking poor Britain? I heard his remarkable statement. This is the thing where he was talking about building back better. And uh, this is some lame Biden line that has now been embraced uh, by uh, all the sinister globalists at Davos. Building back better. Uh, and as Bojo sees it, better means it should be greener, uh, fairer, more agenda neutral and more feminine. Penswood says, I heard his remarkable statement the future should be more green, fairer, neutral and while neutral, more feminine. This guy is two steps behind Biden and closing fast. I can see why the Europeans have so embraced Biden they're going to treat him like a rented mule and he'll reply, look that's who we are. We have our cacistocracy and we shall suffer for it. Um well, I uh, made the mistake of thinking that Boris uh, was serious about using his premiership. It's not particularly a uh, left or right thing. We don't need to get to that yet. I thought he was determined to be a consequential prime minister in a way uh, that uh, not a lot of prime ministers are. And sometimes if you're blessed to live in happy times, it isn't necessary for a prime minister, for any head of government to be particularly uh, consequential. Just keeping things ticking over will do. But that's not the times we live in. Uh, and the, the fact of the matter, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of my experience of how Boris operates. Um, he likes, uh, uh, well, he, he doesn't, he's not all too, he's not too keen on putting in a full day's work. He's an ambitious guy and it's paid off for him. Um, but he's a guy who, who, who delegates. I mean, I, in that sense, I knew him best, obviously, when he was editor of The Spectator. Did he ever actually edit any of my copy, for example? No, he, he delegated that all over the, all over the map. And uh, every so often, uh, he'd, uh, you'd hear from him about some big picture thing. But all the day-to-day -day stuff he wasn't really interested in. 
Uh, not in the least. A fellow called Stuart Reed basically ran the magazine while uh, Boris went around town uh, trying to, you know, gin up the profile of the magazine. And I, I think that's basically the same way he carried on as mayor of London and all the rest of it. And I think that's what he's doing here. So when you have something that just comes along out of the blue, like this COVID thing, where initially uh, his attitude apparently was to do very little about it because he's not a guy, because doing very little actually suits Boris, as I was just saying about The Spectator. Uh, but of course, then he was prevailed upon uh, to uh, to get on board with the way every other government was dealing with it. And then he got it himself. And uh, to be honest, I I just don't know. I mean, I don't know what this I don't know what this guy I tell you something. I'll make a general point here. I do think character is more important than than people uh, have been uh, giving it uh, consideration really since the Clinton era. The Clinton era was, you know, who cares if he's destroyed Monica Lewinsky's life? I mean, she's never recovered from getting down on her knees, getting out the old presidential knee pads. That's She's, you know, someone who's now a middle-aged uh, woman and has never made anything of her life, in part because of the way uh, Clinton used her, like, used toilet tissue. And I do think it's actually important, it's more interesting to look at how people live than uh, what they say. And if you look at how Boris lives, um, he's someone who just blunders through life, damaging, you know, a lot of very small... I'm thinking of, you know, people like his secretary at The Spectator. He damages... There's a lot of damaged people in his wake. Then you have people um, like Biden. You pay no attention. I mean, one of the interesting things about uh, the way we live today is that people people live in public so that when somebody is 78 or whatever Biden is now, there's no, you don't, you shouldn't really pay any attention to what he says. You should look at how he lives and he lives better than anyone should be able to live when he's been in public service uh, for half a century. So that tells you that Biden is a crook. He's, a, he's on the take. He's been bought and paid for. Now, whether he's been bought and paid for by whatever they are, the credit card companies based in Delaware, or whether he's been bought and paid for by the Chinese Politburo doesn't, doesn't really matter. But I do think it's more useful to pay less attention uh, to what people say and more uh, to, uh, to, to what they uh, do. Now, what's it? Janet Logg says, did COVID fry Boris Johnson's brain? Well, <laughs> to paraphrase Bryden, what was all that malarkey he mumbled at this G7 waste of time summit? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't understand how anyone, you know, there are people who have been ruined. I mean, to be honest, I feel I haven't been... Um, economically ruined by uh, the last year, but I, I've been sort of temperamentally ruined in that I'm I'm miserable in this shrunken COVID world. Miserable. I don't really like it, and I I I find it. A, I I would like the pre-COVID world to come back. And whatever people are talking about, they've got no plans for the pre-COVID world uh, to come back. You know, this whole thing is going to it's 
that's what the whole Build Back Better is, is we can't just go back to the way it was in February 2020. And I'd like to. That's what I'd like. Um, as to whether COVID fried Boris Johnson's brain, Janet, people people think that he people think that he's actually under the influence of uh, his present wife, his new wife. We'll see how long uh, she lasts. She's the daughter of another editor of mine, Matthew Simons. Uh, it's like it's like one of those soap operas where there aren't quite enough characters. You know what I mean? So everyone's a bit too connected. Uh, that's the way this thing's going. Al Man from CA writes, Hi, Mark. Do you intend to be on US TV any time in the near future? Well, what do you mean by the near future? Define that. Uh... <laughs> I love the way with te- television is like you're there. I mean, I, it's not me. It's uh, it's happened to you know Johnny Carson and all kinds of people. You're on TV every night for thirty years, and then the minute you're not there, it's like oh, what happened? It's over. It's that, that's not television is so weird. You 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 take a you take a couple of weeks off, and people think you're dead. Uh, I will be on. There will be all the television you need from me. Al man in a fortnight's or so's time. Also, how is Boris doing with cleaning up the grooming gangs? I keep seeing news about them being out and about, free to mingle with the citizenry. Yeah, he's not. There's, there's nothing being done about nothing being done about that at all. Charlish Phil writes, "I'm a new member to the Stein Online family." Well. Welcome to the family. You make it sound like you're Lilibet and I'm Megan, and that's very touching of you, Churlish Phil. You're not in the least bit churlish. I'm a new member to the Sign Online family, and I want to honestly thank you for the tremendous effort put forth by yourself and any of your support staff. Membership has its rights and privileges, as Ralph Parker from A Christmas Story realised after joining the little orphan Annie secret circle. Uh, the left continues to perpetrate the myths that the events of January the 6th were a violent riot where a quarter of a score of people died. One person was shot dead by a US Capitol Police officer and the other US Capitol Police officer, Brian Sicknick, died from causes unrelated to the events of that. Of the five people dead... Uh, it's entirely possible all five of them are actually Trump supporters, but four of them died of natural causes, and uh, Ashley Babbitt was the only one who was actually killed that day. Um, you briefly touched on this subject in an article you wrote for Imprimis. No, I haven't briefly touched on it. I get to, I'm sorry to be as churlish as churlish Phil here is, but I get, as Rush used to say all the time, he used to say, you know, you can't just tune in the first time and say, well, why haven't you talked about this and why haven't you talked about that? You've got to listen uh, for a long while. I have talked about, ever since it happened, you know, I, I was the only one. I can't get over all that garbage. The head faked right uh, fell into, oh, the citadel of democracy on January the 6th. And the whole bloody waste of space of American television, to go back to what Al Mann from CA was saying, I was the only guy who said, well, wait a minute, I don't get what's going on. We've had months of rampaging lefties, and suddenly we can't now... Uh, that's that's you, You've got to be Black Lives Matter and Antifa uh, to go around rampaging, do you? Why would you be surprised uh, that uh, these things actually develop a more general application? Uh, that's why I was saying there. I didn't buy the citadel of democracy. I said it's a citadel of crap. It merits nothing but contempt. 
because as debased and degraded as almost every other legislature on the planet has become in recent decades, very few are as debased and degraded as that legislature passing $6 trillion budgets uh, on thousand-page bills that none of the legislators read and who are now demanding that their staffers, who do all the work anyway, uh, should be paid as much as lobbyists. That's the United States Congress to me, not a citadel of democracy. It's a perversion of a parliament. It's a perversion of a legislature. Uh, and so I didn't join it. I listened to, I watched as it was going on, I, 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 people I respect doing this citadel of democracy crap that afternoon. And by the time I w wandered into the studio uh, to do Tucker, I was a bit titchy. I was a bit churlish, like churlish Phil. So I've been on this thing. I've done monologues on Fox News about uh, Brian Sicknick and, in particular, the politicized pathology lab that sat on his cause of death, which I would bet they knew within 72 hours, max. I compared it to... Um, some of the trickier cases in Pakistan, for example, where they're actually quite good uh, coroners and pathologists, but if it's anything unusual, they ship it over to London to look at the samples. And they still can tell you what the guy died of quicker than uh, Washington, D.C. can tell you what Brian Sicknick died of. So, so, I've been, so the corrupt, politicized uh, aspects of uh, the death of... Brian Sicknick and of Ashley Babbitt, I haven't just touched on briefly, I've done more on than so many of these so-called butch boys on the right. The ones still cooing about how, oh, rank and file FBI, they're the salt of the earth. It's just a couple of bad apples at the top. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, you've got top to bottom corruption in the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I was glad to see what Tucker said about that in relation to January the 6th. But again, uh, I was calling months ago, for, I was saying this, this, uh, this, uh, the corruption is so ingrained at the FBI that I do think you're, you should abolish it, actually, and start again with a new agency with far more subscribed, uh, circumscribed powers. Chris Hall says, with more and more revelations coming out about the November 3rd elections, the January 6th insurrection, and the origin of the SARS COVID uh, virus, it, it is not surprising that there might be a minor decline in trust in the government and our elites. Now, with the strategy being outlined by Merrick Garland, set up a network of informants to root out the scourge of domestic terrorism inspired by white supremacy, are we now all being targeted by our Department of Justice? Do you think that we should all join the new DHS Stasi so that we can inform on each other? If we did, we could then be issued our own unindicted co-conspirator passports allowing us to stay out of jail. At least it might gum up the system if we all started informing on each other. That's an excellent idea. Uh, Mr. Smith informs on Mr. Jones, and Mr. Jones informs on, on Mr. Smith. Um, you know, again, this is something I was uh, talking about uh, months ago on Fox, that it's actually a very... It's actually very disturbing to invent out of whole cloth a domestic terrorism uh, threat that doesn't exist 
uh, and and then to have your so-called intelligence community from the 137 different intelligence agencies, most of whom, 135, 136 of them, shouldn't exist, uh, and for them to say it's the biggest threat facing the United States. I mean, we are actually dealing now, if you've been following our... A uh, serialization of Animal Farm, where everything bad that happens is attributed to Snowball, the uh, the Trotsky-like pig who's forced to flee the farm. And ever if, if there were, if you know, someone urinates in, if a sheep urinates in the water tank, uh, it, it was Snowball who came in the night and did it. And that's basically what they're doing now. They've gone full Animal Farm with blaming everything on this non-existent uh, white supremacist movement. And actually, Chris, that's a very good suggestion that we should all agree to become Merrick Garland's informants and all inform on each other until the uh, and, 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 until that whole thing goes away. This is The Mark Stein Show. We are live around the planet. Uh, and in case you're wondering, it's uh, 18 minutes past 11 uh, on the uh, eastern seaboard of North America. That means it's, what is that, 18 minutes past four in London, 18 minutes past five in Paris. And we will be back to take more of your questions right after this. The Mark Stein Show presents... Andrew Lawton's Canadian content. Mark, the big news in Canada this past week has been that horrific attack against a Muslim family in London, Ontario, my city, that claimed four lives and left a nine-year-old without his sister, his parents, and his grandmother. This was an attack that was shocking, not just to people in the London community and the Muslim community, but around the country, around the whole world, in fact. But it wasn't long until a tragedy became a political opportunity for activists who have been relentlessly crusading against free speech for years. A litany of activists and virtually every federal and provincial politician in Canada descended on London a couple of days after for what was supposed to be a vigil. Instead, it was a political rally in which some speakers extolled their virtue of censorship without even so much as mentioning the family they were supposed to be there to honor. Here's Nabil Sultan of the Muslim Association of Canada. The Muslim community and MAC is demanding from our political leadership that we take steps towards addressing the root causes of Islamophobia, including criminalizing Islamophobia. Criminalizing Islamophobia. I'm not sure what exactly that means. It's not really defined. Surely it's not something that would attack free speech, right? We're all on board with that being a pretty good thing. Well, here's Nawaz to hear. To those who want to hold the Constitution, to those who want to hide behind freedom of expression, I ask you a simple question. What is the point of freedom of expression if a Canadian family does not have the freedom to walk on a sidewalk in this country without getting murdered?
So I say, I say to all of our political leaders that are here today, we are in a war against hate, and that war requires nonpartisanship, it requires cooperation, it requires united leadership and action. Now, as you've talked about, Mark, waving a constitution around in the air, like Mr. Tahir says, is so problematic, doesn't really protect you if there is no cultural support for free speech, which is increasingly the problem in Canada. The reality is free speech did not claim the Afzal family's lives. Free speech and a family having the safety and security to walk down the street are not antithetical concepts, though increasingly activists and politicians are presenting those two things as being in contradiction with one another. Here is Jagmeet Singh, who's the leader of the NDP, which is basically the Canadian AOC party. We need to tackle online hate. In each case of hate against Muslims, in each case where we saw violence against Muslims, in the Quebec shooting, in the killing of a brother in Toronto, in the violence against Muslim women in Edmonton, we know that this is happening from radicalization happening online. So we have to be serious about fighting hate online so that hate has no space to radicalize future violent actions. Now, this call is not just coming from within Canada. The state broadcaster here, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, had an interview with Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan in which, at the host's suggestion, Prime Minister Khan, the former cricket star, called for more online censorship. What is it the government should be doing, for instance, to shut down online hate toward Muslims? I think there should be a very strict action against it, this, because you see these uh, hate uh, websites, which, which again, as I said, would divide, divide humanity by creating hatred, ignorant about the other human community, and you, you target them and, and, and uh, this hate material. Now I know, what's the big deal? The Pakistani Prime Minister can say anything he wants. It's not like he's got an audience on these things with the Prime Minister of Canada, is it? Do you plan to reach out to Justin Trudeau to have a conversation about this? Yes, I will. Uh, I've, I've had previous conversations with Justin Trudeau as well. And I have to say we mostly agree with, uh, with most things. Oh, well, apparently he does. I have no doubt in my mind the Canadian politicians will use this tragedy as justification for a bill regulating online speech, which they have had in the works by their own admission for several years, almost as if they were waiting for the moment when it would become politically disadvantageous to criticize it. After all, I don't have much confidence in the Conservatives speaking up in support of free speech when the narrative has made it such that free speech is equivalent to violence against an innocent Muslim family. A horrific tragedy, but not a justification for censorship. Back to you, Mark. This is Mark Stein inviting you to join me with Liza Minnelli, the great songwriting team of Candra and Ebb, Frank Sinatra's conductor, and a 106-year-old Broadway director to tell the story of this week's Song of the Week on Serenade Radio. One of the great blockbuster smashes of our time and a song we only have because Robert De Niro started gesticulating. All coming up on this week's Stein Song of the Week, Sunday afternoon at 5.30. 
that is 5.30 London time. Don't you uh, forget that. Makes it uh, 12.30 p.m. Sunday. Uh, Sunday lunchtime on uh, the eastern seaboard of North America. 9.30 a.m. on the West Coast. So it's a Sunday brunchy kind of show. And thank you if you're in the Americas. And thank you for all your kind words about it uh, for our uh, Antipodean listeners in Australia and New Zealand and the Pacific. It's probably easier to catch the Monday repeat, uh, which airs at, I think, uh, half past 12 Monday lunchtime in Perth and 2.30 Sydney and Melbourne. But thank you for all your kind words about our new Serenade radio audio version of the Song of the Week. They're, they're very much appreciated. And I thank you, too, for all those people who've said nice things about our Song of the Week as a consolation in these wretched and miserable uh, times we live in. Uh, James Laurie says, what do you think of Billy Joel's body of work? <laughs> well, it may be a while before he makes one of our songs of the week. That's a bit unfair, actually. I did like Just the Way You Are. Uh, which I think Rosie Clooney made her. I remember Rosie made a rather good record of that. And I quite like The Piano Man, although I'm, I blow hot and cold on making love to your tonic and gin. That's getting the priorities the wrong way round. The regular, what is it? The regular crowd wanders in uh, and he's making love to his tonic and gin. Priorities. When you're drinking, you need priorities. It's not a tonic and gin. What a wretched-sounded drink that is. Thank you for that question, though, James Laurie. Uh, sorry to skate across the surface uh, of it, but uh, as a, now I've got that tonic and gin line in my head. I don't think I can get uh, rid of it very quickly. James uh, James Laurie uh, posed the Billy Joel question. Roy Eapen, Dr. Roy, my favourite uh, Quebecois monarchist and a guy who must surely, because uh, until the lockdown happened, if you think you've been constrained in lockdown, uh, Dr. Roy, uh, I always thought he led the most glamorous life of anybody in the Dominion of Canada because you'd always go on Dr. Roy's uh, Facebook uh, page or whatever, and there he would be, uh, you know, uh, having uh, cocktails with Princess Anne or whatever. And uh, God knows what it has been like for him uh, in this hideous lockdown province of Quebec that he's trapped in. Uh, Dr. Roy says, the G7 shows all this nonsense is pure theatre. How do we get our freedom back? I take it this is a reference to... The, the the present dichotomy in much of the Western world, and certainly in Canada, Canada, uh, the median age, Dr. Roy would uh, know this because he's a doctor, the median age uh, of COVID deaths in the Dominion of Canada is 85, the median age. Now, uh, life expectancy in Canada, that's three years greater than Canadian life expectancy, I believe, which I think is 82. Don't bother saying, oh, no, it's 84, whatever. I'm making a general point here that the median age of COVID death is actually higher than uh, Canadian life expectancy. In the last 14, 15 months, the number of people under 50 who have died in Canada is 500 coast to coast. Yet uh, certain Canadian provinces are as locked down as anywhere on the planet. And 
it's humbug and it's hypocrisy. And uh, as certain Canadian members of Parliament have pointed out, there's a guy, for example, he just shot across the board. He got because the, the whole vaccine things flopped out in Canada. So this guy drove across the border to get a vaccine in the United States. He was out of Canada for an hour and fined $10,000. People are being arrested for having for being unmasked in public. Churches are being shut down for having their services. And then this is the theater part that Dr. Roy talks about. You look at the G7 and there's Justin and Boris and all these, but they're all, there's no social distancing. They're all glad-handing each other. They're all over each other. Uh, and we realize that, in fact, the globalists now, the, the, the live in-person G7 uh, has actually confirmed what people had always suspected, that these uh, restrictions on you, where you live, who you can see, whether you can have your Auntie Mabel round for Christmas or Thanksgiving is all theatre because they're living their lives unbound by this rule. And we do need, I think, mass civil disobedience. Now, the, the mass civil disobedience, and there isn't actually... Uh, we're, we're in an Orwellian mood this year at Stein Online, I would say, and I always think of Orwell's line. He came back rather disheartened. He went to see a mine. He went to a miners' meeting, I think somewhere in the Midlands or Northern England, and he was looking forward to seeing some like working class agitation. And he came back and said, sadly, there is no turbulence left in England. And that is certainly true. And there is no turbulence left in Canada. And there's no turbulence left in Australia. And there's no turbulence left in Europe. And there's rather less turbulence than one might have expected even in the United States. And this brings us to the other part of it, Dr. Roy, is that as contemptible as almost all the leadership class has been, whether you're talking about Governor Newsom or Governor Cuomo or Governor Whitmer or Governor Baker in Massachusetts, these various American governors, uh, whether you're talking about uh, Premier Ford in Ontario or Jason Kenney in Alberta, whether you're talking uh, about Boris in the UK or whether you're talking about that crazy guy in Victoria, it's all it's important to bear in mind uh, that there are millions and millions of people who have been successfully terrified by these guys. And you see it. Uh, the, the, I saw some video clip that some I think this was somewhere in uh, America where there's guys coming to blows because one's got a mask and one hasn't got a mask. You know, they say, well, you're you're trying to you're not wearing a mask. You're going to kill me. No, no. The, the whole mask thing is theater. The you know. But people have been, and I think, you know, when you look at it, which is unprecedented, by the way, because it didn't happen during the Spanish flu a century ago, because they'd just been through a world war. So they knew the difference between real hell 
and the flu, which is something that our world is a long way from in understanding it in 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 that uh, in that same way. And I think that's actually something that has made it more difficult. But you know, as much as I enjoy blaming all these pathetic people, you look at as Dr. Roy says, the G7 is theatre. They're all there. They're all glad handing. They're all kissing. They're all smooching. There's no social distancing. They're having some great equivalents like the grotto at uh, Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion when they all get together. Um, But, 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 there are millions and millions of people who, uh, you know, if you stroll down the street in many cities in the Western world and you don't have a mask on, oh, you're trying to kill me, you're trying to kill... These people, and I think it's to do with the, just to go back to the Spanish flu point, I think at that time the world still believed in a transcendent meaning to life. And um, since uh, the Western world in particular has lost its faith, part obviously of the, from the resurgent Islam of which uh, Andrew Lawton was speaking, uh, you look for meaning in other things. And so some people look for meaning in the fact that the uh, planet is going to fry with all the climate change and the Maldives are going to be underwater early next century. And that's great for a while, but it's a bit unsatisfactory because you'd like to actually have Armageddon now. It's a, when you keep talking about rising sea levels in the Maldives, in the early 22nd century. That's all very well, but if only we could have something that's actually here and now. And COVID has given it. Uh, COVID has given it uh, to to them. Um, Jan or Jan, Jan Shibut or Jan Shibut, I'm not sure which, says... Uh, um, Mark, regarding animal farm being a perfect reflection of now, the more appropriate comparison might be a worldwide reverse-engineered Gitmo. The terrorists in charge and we hens are incarcerated in order to produce sustenance for the jailers. If we, are don't, if we don't, we are murdered in the most savage of ways. Who can forget the videos some years back of a mass beheading? Protestations lead to a very public execution. Well... Yeah, I mean, that's the second part of Dr. Roy's thing. How do we get our freedom back? Most people don't want it. Most people want security. And I think this is a function of the demographic crisis of the West and the spiritual crisis of the West, too, that when people uh, cease to believe in anything and when they cease uh, to go forth and multiply, all you have is the here and now. And so you have a situation like Canada where, as I said, the median age of COVID deaths is 85. And don't get me wrong here. I love 87-year-olds and 92-year-olds. And as you know, I've got very little use for anybody young. uh, And I define young as being under about 77. Uh, So I would like all these octogenarians and nonagenarians and centenarians uh, to stick around so I'll have somebody to talk to for what remains of my own pathetic existence. But this idea that we, we have inflicted huge psychological damage on people in order uh, to, you know, in, in, for, for in, in a 
population of whatever it is now, 35 million, give or take, in Canada, where 500 people under 50 are dead. And if you... I. Think of favorite, just thinking of up the road for me, favorite restaurants in Montreal that have been closed for over a year. Who knows whether they'll ever open? That's the least of it. I'd like, you know, I'd like to be able to go for lunch once in a while. Um, and uh, when you think of all the other damage that has been done, it would not meet any cost benefit analysis. And because it does not make, and, and it, in a sense, it's post. It's beyond normal partisanship because the so-called most conservative premier in Canada, uh, Jason Kenney, presides over a province where churches are shut down and pastors imprisoned. And on the other hand, if you go next door to British Columbia, which is regarded as, you know, uh, the the Canadian version of La La Land. They're comparatively they're com so so it's not it doesn't fit the normal partisan paradigms. But it is uh, it does not meet any uh, reasonable cost benefit analysis. And the question then becomes: Well, why are we keeping it going? And the great as I said the last time we were here, the great revelation to me from because I'd always uh, gone for the, you know, the Wuhan lab theory, just because the, the coincidence was too great. This idea that, you know, you've got the Wuhan, uh, you've got the Wuhan Institute of Virology, this thing starts in Wuhan, uh, and, uh, and we're all supposed to believe that of all the wet markets in China, it's the one uh, with the Institute of Virology down the road where this thing started. So anyway, but the revelation to me was how corrupted uh, that, 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 that the scientific bodies and the public health institutions like the CDC and all the rest of it. And that's what's revealing about these Fauci emails. Um, is is that they are as corrupted as the FBI and the deep state is with the Russia investigation. That's that is the that was the uh, revelation to me about that. Douglas says, Mark, does the future belong to Islam, the West, or the Chinese? Well, didn't we do this last week, Douglas? I thought I answered this last week. You've changed it slightly. I think you said to Islam, America, or the Chinese, and I'll give you the same answer I gave you last week. It's not going to be the West or America. America, the West is over. The West is sliding off the cliff. So unless we reverse that now, and most people aren't even aware of it. You know, this is the great crisis. This is the great crisis of Western conservatism, um, is that if you, if you ask anybody under a certain age what are the big issues, they'll say, oh, it's climate change or it's transgender rights, all the way. They don't realize uh, that that uh, they're basically in the paddle, uh, in the canoe, uh, and that distant sound you can just faintly hear is Niagara Falls, and it's time to stop worrying about uh, uh, about transgender rights and climate change and worry about something real and pull for shore while you still can. So unless, and, and this is the great, uh, this is the terrible failure. Uh, particularly in the United States, the terrible failure of uh, of conservatism is, and I, uh, you know, I'm blame myself for this as uh, as well. Is that most 
citizens of Western nations do not realize we're all heading over the cliff. And uh, again, to reiterate what I said before, the United States, because it's the wealthiest and most powerful Western nation, is simply the most advanced case of the psychosis. And then you have uh, the uh, uh, Her Majesty's Dominions, where, you know, uh, in Canada, uh, Australia, Britain, you pick up on all the crazy Yank stuff a couple of years down the road. So you're not quite as full board loony on the transgender sports things, but in 18 months, two years, we are. Then you have Western Europe, uh, where France regards American wokeness as an existential crisis. And then you go east and you have uh, Hungary and uh, other post-communist states that still think more or less like functioning national entities calculating what is in their interests. Unless something serious changes. It's not, you know, whoever, the, 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 it's right now China runs the planet. That's the one thing we've, I don't even know how this is a question, Douglas. You know, China has corrupted everything it touches. And what's fascinating about these powerful Americans or uh, powerful people in other countries like Justin Trudeau or whatever, they've already calculated that China's won. So the thing is not to be perceived to be not on China's side. Now, this is... This is what happens when powers rise and fall. And any Canadian or Australian of a certain age knows a little bit about this because uh, after the Second World War, um, if you were a somebody uh, on the rise in Canberra or in Ottawa uh, and you were looking at the lie of the land, it became more important to get on with the coming men in Washington than the coming men in London, because London was over. It was a great power in eclipse, and Washington was the new dominant player. And uh, and I'm just giving you the most benign example there, because that's not a difficult thing if you're an Australian or a Canadian to say, uh, well, okay, I've, uh, I've got, uh, who should I annoy here? I've got London telling me to do this and Washington wanting me to do that. Well, I'll go with the Washington guy. Uh, that's the most benign in when it comes to global transfer of, uh, of, of dominant power. Now we see when you, what's f the Fauci thing is most interesting for the way the assumption of almost everyone who matters in this American bureaucracy is that China's already won. China's already won. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And again, most uh, American citizens uh, are not even aware of that. We'll come back and, um, uh, and talk a little bit more about it. It's uh, 17 to the hour. I have a tremendous urge uh, to do traffic on the uh, uh, on uh, the uh, townships auto route in uh, Quebec that's uh, that's how excited I am to be uh, do, doing all this live stuff but instead uh, it's a, a melange it's a Wuhan Institute experimental version very dangerous we don't want it to escape from the lab we're doing a little bit of Clubland Q&A and a little bit of the Mark Stein Show, and we will have more of your questions coming up. 16 to the hour. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. 
a Japanese prince in the Netherlands, an Arab state in Mesopotamia, and a negress in the skies. It's June 1921. A hundred years from today. news update. Notwithstanding the messy aftermath of the Great War, Winston Churchill, Britain's colonial secretary, has presented to the House of Commons his plans to create a new independent Arab state in Mesopotamia and to continue in accordance with the Balfour Declaration establishing a Jewish state in Palestine. The House of Commons has also been debating the forthcoming Imperial Conference in London. Ministers from the British Dominion Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Newfoundland and South Africa have been watching from the gallery. Viscount Rothermere, the proprietor of the Daily Mail and Daily Mirror newspapers, founded his new political party, the Anti-Waste League, to combat excessive government spending and the continuation of wartime levels of income tax to fund it. In the Westminster St George's by-election, the Anti-Waste League has just elected its first member of parliament. J.M.M. Erskine, who defeated the official coalition unionist candidate, Sir Herbert Jessel, by attacking, quote, the orgy of extravagance which has marked the last few years. Japan's Crown Prince Hirohito, who has been welcomed by Queen Wilhelmina after his successful visit to Great Britain. Austria has agreed to be subject to the jurisdiction of the Permanent Court of International Justice, the 38th nation to so bind itself. In the United States, President Harding briefly interrupted his golf game in New Jersey to sign the Knox Porter Peace Resolution, putting an end to the state of war in America. The Harding administration's position has been that as a non-member of the League of Nations, the League's declaration of peace could not bind the United States, and so domestic legislation by Congress was required. The New York Times, among others, has applauded this assertion of national sovereignty. Quote, war with Germany ended as it began by congressional declaration and executive signature on American soil. Ah, but not all wars are openly declared. Federal agents have raided the ship Eastside in New York's harbour and seized boxes of machine guns, apparently en route to Ireland. Oh, it's time for parting, and my tears are starting, Though your heart may cry to you when you say goodbye, you leave me with a smile. 
John Henry Williams left with a smile and a cigarette. In Moultrie, Georgia, Williams, a Negro, was found guilty of murdering a 12-year-old white girl. As he was being escorted from the courtroom, he was seized by a mob, a turn of events he appeared to have been expecting, and to whose eventual outcome he seemed reconciled. He was taken to the scene of the crime where he was burned alive. According to witnesses, an enigmatic smile teased his lips as a match was thrown on the fuel, and he calmly smoked his cigarette as the flames consumed him. Bessie Coleman has become the first Negro to earn an international aviation license, certified by the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale of France. In the United States, women of any race are not permitted in any of the certified flying schools. Georgiana Simpson has become the first Negress to earn a PhD. She was awarded a doctorate in German literature by the University of Chicago for her dissertation, Herder's Conception of Das Volk. Only a day later, Sadie Mossel became the second Negress to receive a PhD in economics from the University of Pennsylvania for her dissertation, The Standard of Living Among 100 Negro Migrant Families in Philadelphia. T.C. Glashen, a supporter of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, has been arrested for inciting a riot and deported to Cuba. The Universal Negro Improvement Association is headed by the self-proclaimed Provisional President of Africa, Marcus Garvey. Mr. Garvey's organization includes its own shipping line, the Black Star Line, named after the White Star Line. In Jamaica, the U.S. Consul has investigated charges made by Mr. Garvey against the captain and chief engineer of his luxury yacht, the Antonio Maceo, after a boiler exploded and killed a crewman on its maiden voyage from New York to Cuba. The American consul has exonerated the men. The largest liner on the seas, and perhaps the most luxurious, the SS Paris, has begun its maiden voyage, leaving Le Havre in France, bound for New York City.
privacy and from now on there'll be a change in British Columbia when it comes to your daily tipple. The sale of alcohol had been prohibited in the Canadian province because of the World War, but the government has now begun selling 50-cent permits that allow the purchase of two quarts of liquor or three gallons of beer. His Majesty's British Columbian subjects will be permitted to buy up to 10 such permits per annum. General José Miguel Gómez was the second president of Cuba. He was very popular with the Cuban people, but corruption flourished and there was a massacre of Afro-Cubans by the Cuban army. General Gómez has died in New York, age 62. Henry Clay Ide was born in the small town of Barnet, Vermont, and got to experience small-town life on the islands of Samoa in the South Pacific when President Benjamin Harrison appointed him America's Land Commissioner and Chief Justice. More recently, he was Governor General of the Philippines. In the Pacific, he became great friends with Robert Louis Stevenson, the famous author of Treasure Island. Mr. Ide's little daughter was sad because she had been born on December the 25th and so never had a birthday that was not part of the family Christmas celebrations. Mr. Stevenson had his lawyer draw up a formal deed sealed and witnessed, giving her his own birthday of November the 13th and assuring the wee girl that her father, as a county attorney in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, and as Chief Justice in Samoa, would confirm that it was all legally binding. The ultimate birthday present, the present of a birthday. Mr. Ide is dead in Vermont at the age of 76. And that's the way of the world, June 1921. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today. We live in the shadow of the world made after the First World War, and that is why we do the Hundred Years Ago show uh, here on the Mark Stein Show. I do apologize for some of the uh, technical Difficulties today. I could make excuses, but you know, uh, you shouldn't really have to put up with explanations as to why something's crap. It should just be non-crap. Uh, and I regret that uh, we have uh, been a little under par on some of the technical fronts today. Uh, we let's go back to your uh, questions as we approach the the top of the hour. And um, yeah, here's a here's a uh, goodie from. Uh, Let's see. Oh, uh, Brian from Minneapolis says, Dear Mark, just when are, what are we going to expect to happen regarding the recounts and the Durham report? Yeah, we haven't had any update. Oh, the last thing I saw about the Durham report is about how uh, Durham has declined to support a request from dissident members in the Department of Justice over whatever it is, the Seth Rich thing about the destruction of evidence. Uh, the, the new DOJ has ordered that evidence be destroyed. <laughs> I love that, by the way. That shouldn't even be a thing now. The destruction of evidence. What, it's taking up too much room, is it? And so you need to get rid of it. Uh, but apparently uh, it's relevant to the Durham report. And so they asked Durham if he would support 
their uh, objection to destroying the evidence and he didn't respond because he's on his beach in Tahiti and he's hard to get rid of. Uh, anyway, Brian from Minneapolis says, we all know they won't do a thing about it like the Hunter Biden laptop and give us the whole it's improper to remove a sitting president during the midst of a pandemic or some other left-leaning narrative that has to be addressed like climate change or white supremacy. Voter integrity may be important. But what good is it when not only the people counting the votes don't comply, or even worse, the ones expected to enforce the new voter laws refuse to do so, and nothing is done when it is found they were guilty of doing both? Your thoughts, Mark? Well, I think, as I said uh, at uh, the Hillsdale College thing, if you don't have... You know, you can't be the leader of the free... Well, this is the whole... Kate Smythe, uh, uh, the doyen of... Uh, the Australian branch of the Mark Sign Club said, you know, you can't be the leader of the free world when you're not the free world, when you don't have free elections. I mean, I um, I realised the election was stolen about 10 o'clock on election night because you don't announce the re a partial result and then go home. This is the only country that does this. I mean, it may, it may, I don't know how it works in Chad, although I would be surprised if Chad has as crap elections as the United States these days. A lot of African countries have gotten rather up to snuff in the way they do their elections, uh, and they certainly aren't doing them the way the American uh, elections are run. Like, when you, you don't... The way it works, because, again, the right... I felt never felt more foreign than when I was guest hosting for Rush uh, as November the 4th turned to November the 5th and 6th and 7th and we're chugging along. And the only people who made any sense to me were a Canadian lady now living in Illinois, I think it was, and a South African now living in Florida. And because, because here's, here's why it's crap and Americans, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, should be ashamed of it. Uh, Democrats aren't ashamed of it because it enables them to steal elections. Republicans aren't ashamed of it because they're, you know, half of them are too busy waving the Constitution around uh, to figure out that you can have the world's greatest Constitution and if you've got the world's most corrupt election system, it doesn't matter a damn because the people operating that Constitution and uh, will, will, will be people who are entirely ill-disposed toward it. Here is... The beginning and end of it. Um, that if you announce a partial result, for a start, that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen in Canada. Doesn't happen in uh, Australia. Doesn't happen in Europe. Doesn't happen in Mauritius. Doesn't happen in Botswana. If you announce a partial result, uh, as they do in Pennsylvania, as they do in Michigan, as they do in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, wherever it is, uh, they announce the partial result and then say, oh, we're going home for the night. So you've got one candidate who's got, uh, you know, let's say 75,000 votes and another candidate who goes 72,000 votes. And you go, oh, well, we're all we're, we're closing down for the night now. And so we'll come back in, you know, 12 hours maybe and see what's happened. You've told them how many votes they need to steal. This is a joke. 
Why don't you... Why... Why... Name me... I, if you run into a Democrat who says it's totally improper to question the election, well, I tell you something, if this system is so bloody marvellous, why is it that no Dane, no Norwegian, no Belgian, no German, no Italian, no Slovene, uh, no Kenyan... Nobody wants a part of this system because you've enabled corruption. The only purpose, purpose. I'm sorry to get worked up about this, but I think the American rights commentary on the we have the, you know, it's the same thing. The FBI is our greatest law enforcement agency on earth. It's just a couple of rotten apples. No, you stupid idiot. It's a wholly corrupt institution. And it's the same thing with the election system. No... Uh, no ele system of election integrity anywhere on the planet. Tell me one other country. Bernie Sanders, he wants us to be more like Denmark. Really? You think they do this in Denmark, Bernie? Name one other country with a semi-respectable election system that gives a partial count, goes home for the night, uh, so the other guys know how many votes to steal. This is, this is the thing I can't, that I choke on. You can say what you like about, you know, Sweden, but they come by their socialism more or less honestly. Americans don't. When you have, uh, when you have a predisposition toward corruption and you then have it mixed with radical ideological, radical wokist ideology... Sorry to get worked up here, but it, as I said, I choke on this rubbish. Absolutely choke on it. It's filthy. Uh, abs absolutely. Well, how do we get into this? We're talking about, oh, yeah. Now, so now it's after the fact, right? So we got Merrick Garland, this awful hack. Uh, Mitch McConnell did everyone a favor by ensuring that this awful third-rate nothing of a man. Oh, he's, uh, he's widely respected on all sides. Yes, he's just like everybody else. He's he, that that's a Boy Scout like the guy. What's his name? Muller and all the rest of it. No. Uh, now we're, we're having an audit. Now we're having these audits in various states and it's too late. You're asking you'd be asking at some point you'd be expecting a Supreme. The, the Roberts Supreme Court, as I talked about with Shannon Bream on Fox News primetime a few weeks ago, uh, is risk averse, and for good reason as well. I mean, so so that for start, you've got to get it to the Supreme Court. You know, what happened is that the election was stolen in the early hours of November the fourth. It wasn't widespread election theft because the beauty of the crap American system is that you don't need widespread theft. You need widespread theft to steal an election. In, uh, in Canada or France because you wouldn't know where you needed to steal it and you wouldn't know how many votes you needed to steal. But under the American system, as I said, you have this quite, imp quite uh, uh, a system that in invites corruption. That's why the Democrats are invested in it. But basically, uh, Trump narrowly won the election 
and so they narrowly stole it from him. Now, what's going to reverse that? Nothing's going to reverse that. For a start, to get into the Supreme Court, you'd be requiring legislatures, you'd be requiring no district court judge wants to find his house burned down when he comes home in the afternoon. I mean, these guys are serious about power. That's why they stole the election. And if you notice, when you say, what can be done about it? As I said, I can't do much about it, but I have never referred to Biden as President Biden. When I'm on Fox, I call him Joe Biden. I call him Mr. Biden. I don't call him President Biden. Because this is a joke. And again, and again, it gets it gets to one of the big problems with the American right uh, that the the things that you, the things that uh, they claim are the most potent weapons against uh, what's happened have in fact proved useless. Oh, oh well, you know we have to elect Republicans so we uh, so we can uh, nominate all these uh, rock-ribbed originalist judges. Okay, so we've had judge after judge after judge after judge after judge, including an entire third of the Supreme Court. And what did all those judges do for you? Bugger all when it counted. You know, the disposition of a people is the most you the. Uh, a, a country is governed, ultimately, ultimately, it doesn't matter whether, uh, what kind of system you have, a country winds up being governed according to the disposition of the people. And that's true even of, uh, certainly of old school dictatorships. You know, uh, enough people put up with the dictatorship to enable it to survive. The disposition of a people and the disposition of the American people, uh, particularly because of a corrupt media and all the rest of it, is that uh, is is that what happened on November the third was on the up and up, because they wanted a lot of those people wanted Trump out, and they think you know in a, in a way it's a testament to Trump that they couldn't honestly persuade. Uh, people in these key states to vote him out. So they had to steal it. It's it's the same, similar to the fall of Thatcher, uh, where, you know, they, they, they fantasized for years about the people rising up and throwing out Mrs. Thatcher. And in the end, she got backstabbed by a, a coterie of her own backbenchers. It's the same thing here. They fantasized about the people rising up and rejecting Trump and when they didn't, they just they just uh, stole the election. I do apologize for getting a little angry, but the the you know we are now in tragic uh, a, a tragic uh, situation where um, you know there's when we're not the, I don't know where you go with this. I don't know what attorneys general decide and what courts decide and all the rest of it. But the whole system is disgraceful and all Americans should be ashamed of it. And the minute you see someone saying, well, here we have candidate A with 97,000 votes and candidate B with 94,000 votes, and now we're all going to go home and get a good night's sleep. The minute that happens, you're in the worst kind of Afro-Marxist basket case state when it comes to elections. And as I said... The Constitution is silent on that, but no founding father would recognize uh, what has been uh, 
what has been going uh, going on here uh, on uh, on this. So. Uh, you know, that's that's the problem with that. We always like to have a little bit of music on the show. Uh, I was very touched by the uh, the news of the passing of the former Chief Justice of Samoa that we uh, reported on in the 100 Years Ago show. And I thought it'd be nice to have a little bit of Samoan music. Um, so here's uh, some uh, with Bill Sevesi. Sevesi, I think he used to say it, and his islanders. Uh, Bill Sevesi is not actually from Samoa. I believe he was from Tonga uh, and born Wilfred Jeffs, and uh, he was given the Queen's Service Medal for New Zealand uh, uh, a few years back, died a couple of years ago. And he has the peerless vocalist here, Daphne Walker, great Kiwi vocalist, still with us and this is a terrific song as authentically polynesian as you can get i'd like to see samoa With her hair so black Hanging down her back How I'd like to see Samoa of Samoa And I would go there tomorrow If only I knew just where it was like to see Samoa a Samoa and I would go there tomorrow if only I knew just where it was and Daphne Walker does know where Samoa is because she had a hit in the Samoan hit parade uh, with a song called Hoochie Coochie Henry uh, which we may play on our next show I'd like to see some I'd like to see Samoa a Samoa I find it's a hard title to get exactly right because it depends 
uh, on that uh, play on words. Uh, but that was the great Daphne Walker. Music by Harold Spina, who wrote uh, My Very Good Friend the Milkman for Fats Waller. And uh, lyrics by Walter Bullock, who's more of a screenwriter. He, he wrote uh, that great film, The I Don't Care Girl, the biopic of Eva Tangway. And if you've never heard of Eva Tangway, uh, it's very um, easy to remember because her theme song, I Don't Care, Let Down the Gangway, Here Comes Eva Tangway. That was Daphne Walker. I would like to see Samoa a Samoa. I would like to see Samoa a Samoa, but instead we trudge on uh, in the... Uh, in the in the glit in the in the gloom in the crepuscular twilight of the West, we struggle on for our liberties. Or you, people say to me, "Well, why did you just uh, why didn't you talk a bit more about uh, Christy Nome instead of playing a song about Samoa?" Because I do what I want, and honestly, you know, you'd be better off if you did that too. That's all I do. I just I, I like to talk a little bit about the collapse of Western civilization. And then I like to play, I'd like to see Samoa a Samoa. Because that's who I am, all in full. And I wouldn't be talking about the collapse of Western civilization if I didn't play, I'd like to see Samoa a Samoa. Because I like to be reminded that there are things worth uh, fighting for in life that make life appealing. There's nothing conservative about being obsessed with tedious politicians 24-7. So all I recommend to anybody who don't want to hear, I'd like to see Samoa, Samoa, then all you got to do is, uh, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about. But that's all I do. Nobody tells me what to say. Nobody tells me what to do. The, the, the Polynesian songs I play are the Polynesian songs I want to play. And we would all be better uh, if we were to to live according to that. I thank you for dialing us up. We, I'll be back in a few hours as, uh, as our uh, adaptation of Animal Farm careers towards its climax. I hope you've been enjoying that. We shall have Tal Backman. We shall have Rick McGuinness at the movies. We shall have uh, all kind of, We shall have my uh, serenade show. If you missed the shows on Stardust and Over the Rainbow, that's, uh, that's your loss. we got all kinds of things coming up from you uh, coming up uh, for you and uh, i think next week we might do a regular q a or we might do another mix i'll think about it but thank you for dialing us up uh, stay safe stay free <laughs> oh no 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 now i'm playing it a second time let's see if we get the right thing Oh, I don't, I don't know. How does this thing work? I can't... Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, that's it. Sayonara. Stay safe. Stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.